strange Christmas blessing. Not, not like the strange Christmas blessing where Clark asked Aunt Bethany to pray for the meal. Not quite like that, but maybe the blessing. Every bit of spirituality that was just in here, we just shoved right out the door. We got to get it back in. Luke chapter 2. They want you. Once it's up here, it's just tough to get it out. By the way, I'm not sanctioning that movie unless it's the edited version. Luke chapter 2, verse 25, if you would. And we're going to read down to verse 35. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, that he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Let's stop there. I'm sure you've you all got Christmas cards or have handed them out or passed them out or received them and you, you, you know you love them because don't don't you you love you know anytime it deals with Christmas um, if there's the Christmas family photo on the card it's always everybody's always smiling right um, it is the most unnatural looking thing most of the time my family typically doesn't set color coordinated out in a field um, we, you won't find that very often uh, our family is not usually all gathered around the Christmas tree with smiles on our faces. And ultimately, those of you that send out a Christmas newsletter, more than likely, you just put in the good news, right? Uh, you don't always put in the bad news. So at Christmas time, we expect things to be positive, expect things to be upbeat. We expect the pictures to be pretty and everybody to be smiling. We expect the news to be good. But if you think about what Simeon has just said, if you think about what this man has just done, you could almost think for a moment he kind of rained on their proverbial Christmas parade because he gives them, he says some things that you don't find in a Christmas card. You wouldn't have found on a traditional, typical, happy Christmas blessing. He says things that initially on the surface appear to be pretty much downers for the family. And I want you to think about Simeon for a minute because we don't really know much about him at all. In fact, had it not been really for Luke's uh, in-depth reporting, we probably wouldn't even know this. All we know about Simeon is where he was and who he was. 
We don't know his age. We assume that he was an older man. But all we know is that he was a devout Jew waiting for the consolation of Israel. That means he was looking and expecting and anticipating their Messiah, the Messiah. So he had been going into the temple, was a godly man, was observing the law, was faithful in all that he was doing. And God tells him, Simeon, you are not going to die before you get to see the Messiah. Now, that had to have been a tremendous message for Simeon to be able to hear from God that I am not going to die until my eyes get to behold the Messiah, the one whom we've waited for, the one we are anticipating, the one our hearts are leaping in excitement to be able to meet. By the way, there's another woman in this story. We're not going to cover her today, but her name is Anna. Again, a very godly, devout woman. Both Simeon and Anna were in the temple at the time that Jesus arrived i kind of think i'm reminded in the scriptures that god used two or three witnesses to approve everything to show that something was true and here in the temple at the announcement as they were coming to do all the things that were required of the law after baby jesus was born what did god do he had two witnesses there to be able to testify that this child was indeed the son of god if you're thinking about simeon think about this he was led by the spirit of god taught by the word of God and obeyed the will of God. Okay, led by the spirit of God, taught by the word of God and obedient to the will of God. Therefore, he got to see the salvation of God in the son of God. Truly remarkable man that we know very little about. God told him something. He believed it. He followed the leadership of the Holy Spirit, prompting him to go to the temple. He goes to the temple and his eyes see the greatest thing that his earthly eyes would ever see the Messiah. He worshiped him. Notice what he says in those first words in verse 29. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. You know what he's saying? God, I get to die now. I can go now because I've seen the Messiah. What an impact it made on this man. By the way, that word depart uh, that that he's using to describe leaving this earth, obviously it's referencing death. It has many different uses throughout the scriptures one of those uses uh, for that word depart talking about death means folding a tent up putting it putting it up taking it down it also means releasing a beast of burden from its labors it also means releasing a boat untying a boat and letting its sails go up so it can take off what a beautiful picture that god has for us as believers when we depart when we pass like a boat being untied like a beast of burden being unyoked and released from its burden of labor. I want you to notice this morning with me these several strange things that Simeon says to the family. After he worships God and says, God, I'm ready to go now. You can take me. I've seen the Messiah. After his heart is so incredibly full of joy, he then says some strange things. Look back with me, if you would, at verse 30. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Twice in that short little 
a chorus of praise to God. He references peoples. He references nations. He references the Gentiles or the heathens. He references twice in those short little chorus that God is using this child for some people other than the Jews. Now this had to be strange for the time. It fits perfectly into Luke's gospel because Luke writes about the gospel for all the world. How Jesus died for everyone and has a a worldly missional focus in his gospel. So it fits perfectly in this. But in the time, think about this. This is a devout Jew man standing in the temple who is doing what? Waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's waiting for Israel's Messiah in the temple as a devout Jew. And he sees him and he cries out to God, God, this child is not just for us. This child is to be a light to all nations. This child will be a light to light the way of the Gentiles. This had to be confusing, had to be a little odd. To Mary and Joseph, hearing these words that such emphasis would be given to the world, to the gospel, going to the utter ends of the earth. It shouldn't really surprise us now because we know that the gospel was always intended to go to the utter ends of the earth. The gospel was always intended to go to every tribe, nation, and tongue. And it's quickly on its way there now. By the way, it shouldn't also surprise us because we remember the angel's announcement. In Luke chapter 2, to the shepherds who were watching their flocks by night. Do you remember what that message was? I know one person in here definitely remembers what that message was because he wrote it down. That was our shepherd from the show. The message was that I bring you glad tidings of great things, which will shall be to all people. The angel was saying in the very beginning, this Messiah is not just to be the savior of the Jews. He's to be the savior of the world. The angel said it. And now Simeon, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is praising God for the fact that this Christ has a global message and a global salvation, not just in not just in where they live, but where they are. Nobody is too lowly. Nobody is too poor. Nobody is too messed up in order to receive salvation. From this child. I want you to see the second strange thing this morning. First was that he was a light to the Gentiles. Number two, Jesus would call, would cause, excuse me, Jesus would cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. Now think about this. I don't want you to just listen to this now as as a Christian now 2,000 years after this event. I want you to kind of put your, your mind in Mary and Joseph's place. This child will cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. What in the world? Did anybody notice something strange about that sentence? Does anybody notice anything peculiar about the way that it's worded? This child will cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. Who talks like that? When we're talking about something, don't we talk about its rise and fall? Wouldn't it have seemed more natural to say this child will, will, will cause the, the rise and fall of many? No, that's not how God works. It was intentionally 
put like that, that this child will cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. Remember, this message is for the Jewish people. He is talking about the Jews. He has now said that this gospel is to go to all the world. But in regards to the Jewish nation, this child will cause the fall and rise of many. Remember this. The devil works with a rise and then fall. You see, he wants us to rise in pride, rise in arrogance, rise in in selfishness and selfish ambition. He wants us to rise in those things, haughtiness and pride. He wants us to rise and then comes the fall. God works differently. God works with a fall and then a rise. All of those things that are abased, all who are abased, the Bible says, will be exalted. You remember what it was when you first met Jesus Christ as your Savior? Were you able to do like that man in the temple? Were you able to pat your chest and say, God, I thank you that I am not like this man a sinner? No, we came to Christ as the tax collector did in that temple story. We came to Christ as literally not even able to lift up our eyes to heaven, but beating our chest, say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. When you and I came to Christ, those of us that are saved, we all have one thing in common. We may not have all come the same way by the same church service or by the same preacher or by the same ministry. But when we came to meet Christ personally as our Savior, the one thing that every one of us had in common is that we stood before that cross condemned. We knew that we were sinners. We had to admit to God, God, I'm a sinner. We had to humble ourselves before a holy God and say, God, I've messed up. I have sinned against you and in heaven, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. We could have said the same words as that prodigal son that found himself in the pig pen. We came to God abased. We came to God humbled. We came to God bowing down. Why? Because of our sins. And then what did He do? He washed our sins away and has raised us up together with Him. This child, Simeon says, well, is responsible for the fall and rise of many in Israel. They would realize their sins. They would confess their sins. They would be forgiven of their sins. Notice this third. Strange. Strange thing. Strange blessing. In verse 34. Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign. Which shall be spoken against. For a sign which shall be spoken against. Parents, you know what I'm about to say here. There are probably not any of you that like the thought that your child is being picked on. You probably, you probably don't like it. You probably hate that because it hurts your child to be made fun of or to be, to be picked on. I remember distinctly one time we were at, at a family get-together um, and there were a lot of cousins of Hawkins. And I remember walking upstairs because Hawkins was crying. I couldn't figure out why. And when I got upstairs, I realized that all of the other cousins, every one of them, had shut him out of the game and shut him out of the room. And he was crying because he wanted to be included. And I remember as a parent, that broke my heart. And it was just his cousins, and it was just a little thing. But I remember being so hurt 
because my son was excluded. My son, someone would make fun of my son or not include him or not be nice to him. It really it really bothered me at that time. But think about this from Mary's standpoint. Here they are, Mary and Joseph, this happy young couple bringing their child who is the who is literally the, the, the one in whom the host of heavens bow. And here comes this, this, this old man, and he comes in and he praises God, and he says that this child is going to reach the nations. And then he turns and he says, this child is going to be responsible for the fall and rise of many in Israel. And then he turns to them and says, this child is going to be a byword. This child is going to be picked apart. This child is going to be looked at and thought of negatively. This child is going to have forces come against him. How many of you as parents, so excited, so happy with your child going in there, and this man says this guy is going to have a lifetime of opposition. This child is going to be a byword. This child is going to be made fun of all of his life. Not one of us would want to hear that. We would not want that on a Christmas card. That is awful. But it's true. In John 8, 41, Jesus was teaching with the religious leaders, was teaching and the religious leaders were present. And Jesus was speaking about His Father. Do you remember what they said in John 8, 41? We know who our Father is, they said. We were not born of fornication. The religious leaders would turn to Jesus and say, we don't buy into this whole virgin birth thing. We think your mom was doing things she shouldn't do. We think you were born out of wedlock, Jesus. That's what those religious leaders said. They slandered the account of the virgin birth. Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 24 Jesus was performing miracles. He couldn't deny that these were miracles. (laughs) Even the skeptics looked and saw something amazing was happening. They couldn't deny that Jesus was performing the miracles. There was only one thing left to slander. And that was where the power for his miracles came from. So Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 24, they said that he does these power, he does these, these miracles by the power of Beelzebub. They attributed his miracle working power to the devil. Those religious leaders, probably some of the most vile happened in John's Gospel. John's Gospel, chapter 8 and 9. They attacked his character. (laughs) The holy, spotless Lamb of God. They referred to him in a derogatory manner, saying that he is a Samaritan. Remember, they were despised greatly by the Jews. They called him a Samaritan in John 8, 48. And they said that this man is even demon-possessed. Demon-possessed. And once in John chapter 9, they turned to a man whom Jesus had healed, and they said, Rejoice, for now we know that this man, speaking of Jesus, is a sinner. They called the holy, spotless Lamb of God 
a derogatory term, a demon-possessed man and a sinner, and said, He is not from God. He is not from God. This child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Matthew chapter 27, do you remember when Christ was hanging on the cross? They slandered his death as well. If he is the son of God, let him come down from that cross. Let's see if God will have him. His birth, his miracles, his death, his character, all slandered. They didn't stop there. Do you remember his resurrection? There were lies about his resurrection. Tell him, tell them that his followers came and took him by night. They didn't believe that he really rose from the dead on the third day. By the way, Peter tells us in the New Testament that they are mocking his return as well. This child shall be a sign that is spoken against. This child, I would love to tell you that the speaking against Christ thing died somewhere in the first century. It did not. Can I tell you this, guys? He is still a sign which is spoken against right now, today. There, there are people who will become angry over the name Jesus. You know this, especially around Christmas time. There are people who cannot stand the name, the thought, the idea of Jesus, and He still today is a sign which is being spoken against. We come in here. When I say the name of Jesus, you amen. When, I, when we sing about Jesus, you tear up and you, you worship and you sing loudly and you, you, you pray to Him, to us in here. He is an endearing person. He is, he is our Lord and Savior. We worship Him. We love Him. But out there, He is a sign that is spoken against. Why would I share this with you? Why would I tell you this? Because I want us to be alert and to be aware of what Simeon said about this man and how true it was then and how true it is now. Notice this fourth thing. Think about the final thing that Simeon says to Mary. He says this, number four, Mary, this kid's going to break your heart. Not like the normal parent and the heartbreaking thing, I would imagine. Jesus never would have looked at his mom and dad and said he hated them, right? That happens with kids. It breaks your heart as a parent, even though you know they don't probably mean it or understand it. What Simeon said is, a sword will pierce your own soul also, for the hearts of many will be revealed. You know what Simeon was telling her? Think about this as a mother holding this baby. You're full of joy. You're full of excitement. This child's going to go to all the nations. The message of what this kid is going to do is going to be a light to all the world. This kid right here is going to cause the rise and fall or fall and rise of many. This kid is going to be a sign which is spoken against in Mary. This kid is going to tear your heart up. Why? Because people are going to speak against him. Why? Because you're going to see him ridiculed and mocked. Mary, because of anybody in the world, you're going to know that this kid is the Savior and you're going to see people reject him. And probably the worst is, Mary, you're going to sit at the foot of the cross while they crucify your own son. You're going to sit right there and watch those events happen. Why do we share this? 
What's the purpose of it? It's because I want to ask you this. Do you know these things? Do you know, now granted, that last one is for Mary alone. No matter how difficult it must have been, I'm not taking away from, from who she was as a woman, but let me remind you, it was Jesus who alone died for our sins. Let me ask you those first three questions. Friends, do you know that Jesus is the light to the Gentiles? Do you know that? Do you know that the message of the gospel is not just for the Jews? I would imagine most of all of us in here probably are Gentiles. We ought to be thankful that God had us in his plan of redemption from the very beginning. To the Jew first and then to the Greek. Beyond that. Do we come in here and rejoice and, and exalt God over our salvation while never engaging in God's original plan in the first place, which was to move the gospel through us into the rest of the world? See, it's one thing to know that God included the Gentiles. It's another thing to be included in that plan and to be a part of it. Are we giving to the cause of missions to reach the world? Are we praying for nations and for missionaries? Are we praying for the door of the gospel to open so that that light may truly penetrate those areas and those countries that have yet to hear the cross of Jesus Christ? Are we going to those places? Are we serving the Lord? Are we being faithful to communicate His gospel all the while telling ourselves we know that Christ goes to the Gentiles. We know that the gospel is to go to all the world. Shame on us if we say that while never back it up with a missional life style shame on us if we say yes it goes to the gentiles but never do our part to carry it there through giving through praying or through going do you know are you reminded again this morning that god works through the fall and rise satan works through the rise and the fall but christ works through the fall and the rise he blesses the humble heart he blesses those who are self-abased he blesses us when we're able to put ourselves aside and put him and others first. That's the life that God blesses. We see it through Simeon's words. And lastly, are we reminded again this morning that that child who grew up to be our Savior, who sits at the right hand of God, is still a sign that is spoken against. His love is still doubted. His message is still, is still misquoted. His character is still misidentified. Are we doing what we can to go out and to share the truth of Jesus Christ? Let me tell you something. The message of Jesus Christ may be by the world standards very unpopular. But it is eternally profitable. We become afraid. We get scared when we think that if we say something about Jesus, what's someone going to think? When it comes down to it, what should we really be concerned about? Our only concern in life should really be pleasing God. If I, at the end of the day, can put my head on my pillow and close my eyes and know that I please God with my actions, then I have absolutely nothing to fear, nor do I have anything to regret. It's one thing for us to know these things. It's a whole other thing to put them into practice. Have you ever met Jesus Christ? Have you ever come to the foot of the cross and said, yes, God, I am a sinner. I've lied, I've cheated, I've stolen, I've done those many times and maybe even by far worse than those things. 
Do you realize it's not just about the things that you've done that you shouldn't, it's the things that you haven't done that you should have done that are sin as well? And God stands ready and willing right now to forgive you of your sins if you will only ask. If you will place your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross when he stretched out his hands and said, it is finished. The Bible tells us that all the place our faith and trust in him will never be ashamed. Let me end with this. I think Simeon, this man, was probably the only man that got it, that understood what Isaiah said. When he said, for unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. Simeon got it. He understood it. Do you get it? A child was born, and a son was given. For me and for you. What decision do you have today? How was the Spirit of God leading you? Salvation? Rededication of your life? Baptism? Church membership? There's something on your heart you need to pray about. Let's do it right now. Father, I thank you. I thank you that a child was born and a son was given. You handed him over to us. He is a light to the Gentiles. He is responsible for the fall and rise of many. And he is a sign which is spoken against. Help us, Father, to wear the name of Jesus Christ as a badge of honor. Help us to be bold and proud of the name that has saved our souls. Help us, Lord, to go forth looking for opportunities to share the love of Jesus Christ. Father, let's make him real in our own heart first. Do your work in our heart this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.